0: Hello. I'm Stephanie Luo. Welcome to my podcast, Surface Time, aka Confessions of a Diving Junkie, where I chit-chat with people who are like me, scuba diver and chronic addicts to being underwater. During Surface Time today, I met up with Magnus Ekerblom-Deker, who is passionate about creating and collecting memorable moments and convey this through his photography. At work, he leads a team of software engineers to develop solutions for many world problems. To him, the creative process that he has to go through as a software engineer is the same as when he works for his editorial photographs. You start with nothing and create something out of it. Okay, I think I need to raise the. Tell me how. I-
1: yeah. Maybe a little bit down.
0: A little bit more.
1: A little bit more down. There we go. Now you can see like the top of the microphone up until here.
0: Yeah. Okay. We will only cut one minute real.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's just for promotion purposes. Carry on drinking coffee. We can start in a minute. Magnus, thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to have a chat with you about the work you did, the photos that you've taken. Oh, quite right. A bit. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot, lots of other questions. Okay. I start with the question I always ask my guest at the start of the interview. Where was your last memorable dive?
1: Okay, my last memorable dive, I didn't dive much during the whole pandemic because I've always been traveling to interesting places to uh, to dive. And that was easy when I lived here in Southeast Asia and everything was closed. And then I moved to Sweden and diving in Sweden is a little bit more challenging and colder and Not as much animal life or sea life, especially not on the East coast. Since it was foreign traveling during the pandemic, I figured I'd better take up diving in Sweden, Mm -hmm. got myself a dry suit I went through dry suit training. My last really memorable dive was actually when I learned how how to dive in dry suit and I could go diving in the Baltic. I've lived Mm -hmm. most of my life in uh, Stockholm. But I've never dived there. And finally, I actually got to dive in the Baltic Sea and it was winter. It was like minus two in the air and the water was super cold. It was full of jellyfish in the water. So we were swimming among the jellyfish there outside Stockholm. So that was a really memorable dive. I enjoyed it, even though it was a little bit chilly.
0: Other than cold, is this true that you get really clear visibility, like crystal clear?
1: Not in the Baltic and Uh, possibly like it gets much better during winter. So the colder it gets, the less algae and stuff you get in the water that is detrimental to visibility. So during summer, you might get good days, two, three meters, and now we have 15 meters. So it's a huge (laughs) difference during winter, Mm -hmm. but it's not crystal clear in any way.
0: Okay. 50 meters still on.
1: Yeah, it was like everyone was surprised. The people that have been diving for a long time, they're like ecstatic about the visibility.
0: That could be also the, uh, the lack of phone disturbance from the top because of COVID.
1: Possibly, yes.
0: And, and you obviously try lots of different types of diving.
1: Yeah. Like learning new things.
0: I really want to ask you the question about the photo you've taken in C- C- Cenote
1: mm-hmm.
0: in Mexico. So that's mm. cave diving. Yeah. Did you actually do trainings there or how did you get into the cave diving?
1: So I, I actually want to learn proper cave diving. The dives that we did with the was cavern diving. You always have a visible line towards out, basically out. And so you know where to, to go in case go terrible. And I'm not responsible for laying down lines or anything like that. You have a guide with you that will take care of that. You can focus on diving and enjoying the dive. It's not like technical cave diving with decompression and being, you know, dual tank systems and whatnot, three light sources and two knives and all the stuff that you need when you go to cave diving. So this was like just normal diving, but in a cave. So no special training needed to do it. So that way was easy for me. I could focus
0: on photography. Your buoyancy has to be good.
1: Yes. Many of the, the caverns you go into, they are huge, but they're deep. So you don't want to disappear to the bottom, but there are some of them that are like quite narrow and I was surprised, like, oh, they, they're gonna let me go through this. It was still doable. You, you should have fairly good buoyancy and know what you're doing in the water, but it's not like technical, super tricky diving.
0: So I saw a couple of photos that you took, mm-hmm. I think more than a couple in the the cabin yeah two of them caught my eyes one is the diver holding umbrella that get on the water popping yep and the other one which i have so many questions to ask is i think the same model holding balloon underwater yeah i think it's your underwater renditions of the animation up (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i'm curious what caused you to want to create this editorial photo and also what was your creative thinking and the preparation process up to that point when you took the photo?
1: This was our third time there. The model is my, my ex-wife and we'd been there two times already in the cenotes and dived the regular cenotes that everyone dives, which are amazing. And if I had a chance, I'd go back tomorrow. But the third time we went there, we thought. Maybe we can do something different because I've taken all the photos on the two previous trips. So what can we do different this time? And we started thinking it's always fun with these things that don't really belong underwater or anywhere else. If you can mix things that don't really are supposed to be mixed. And we thought maybe we can bring some props down into the cave. We'd seen some photos and we would experimented a little bit with photos before where... We've tried out of sitting on the, the branches down in Angelita, which is like, there are some trees that have fallen into the Sonatas and just stayed there. But then we thought, how can we take that sort of editorial photos to the next level? So then of course, props, we got to bring props down. And then we just, we went to Walmart and we just bought a lot of stuff and we tried it out, what would work if what will work. And just for the props to actually be visible and stand out on the photos, we, we tried for Things that have a lot of color uh, and that definitely belong, don't belong underwater, like pool noodles, they're too floaty and you need to find something work from a dive perspective. You need things that are neutral in the water. Otherwise it's going to be super tricky to, uh, to dunk with them. And that's how we ended up on the umbrella, which if you see it on the pictures, like has all these colors on it. So it would stand out. And also the balloons that we picked the colors that would also stand out underwater when I shot my my underwater strobes out it it would reflect back something different than just blue and really pop it from the background
0: it may sound a bit technical but what's the color of the balloon that you picked because underwater it looks like silver
1: they do look like silver balloons underwater was really tricky in general not only photographing but just getting them to this in because it turns out you can't inflate them in the Sonata. Uh, so we tried that because you can't inflate them with air because then they would just shrivel up when you go down due to the pressure so we figured we inflate them with water because then they will be neutral and they just put a little bit of air in enough to get them to looks like they're floating or at least they're staying upright. right but then inflating them in the water was like you couldn't just scoop water into balloons it turns out so yeah, and we tried inflating them with our mouths like we'd take a mouthful of water and then blow that into the balloon but that took forever and it was just a really uncomfortable process so we took 10 of the balloons or something like that a place where they had running water and we filled them up under the tap and then uh, we sat on the back of the truck all the way to the cenote just hoarding the balloons make sure they didn't pop on the way there we lost two or three of them just going there and then we lost a couple of more carrying them down to the water so it was like the whole logistics was terrible <laughs> and then uh, also colors when you actually fill them with water you bring them down and you shine your strobes on them it didn't reflect back as much color as i thought it would so they look a little bit silvery so we tried uh red and green and uh, some purple ones anything but blue basically but light goes through the balloons for some reason, it was really hard just getting the colors to come out the way that I had envisioned it.
0: Wow. It's a beautiful photo. So for the benefit of people listening to this and not seeing the photo yet, it's literally a blue background inside the cabin Mm -hmm. and you got a beautiful sunray coming through Mm -hmm. the water and then otherwise it's really just blue water effectively. The divers holding the balloon is in the middle. And it's very editorial. But hearing what you've gone through, all the try and error to get it done. So, how many dives did you have to make to get to that shot? And then you thought, that's it.
1: I think we did two dives with the balloon, and we also brought the balloons to different cenotes. We brought a lot of balloons and tried <laughs> different ways of inflating them. This was like a week of diving with props, everything. <laughs> <laughs> we got two or three good photos out of it.
0: <laughs> it's really worth it. It really made another perspective. Like when I go diving, what do I do instead of just, oh, I've seen this, I've seen that. And let's do something different.
1: Yeah. I think specialist I, I love diving in I just love that environment. But after a while, it's like, yeah, but I'm taking all the photos that I wanted to take. So we just never wanted to make it interesting. It, it was a lot of fun just to try something new out. And we had this dive guides with us. Props to Luik if he's uh, ever listens to this, who, who helped us out and was like super into this. And oh yeah, we got to do this, and uh, we can get the water for the balloons there. And, and drive super carefully through the jungle. <laughs> you probably
0: are the most memorable client uh, <laughs> that he's ever taken.
1: Possibly.
0: I mean, back to cave diving is is a very serious matter. So, have you done any formal training since? Are we still on your to-do list?
1: Yeah, but that's on my to-do list. I, I've done a lot of like reef diving and I've done a little bit of wreck diving and I've tried to explore as many environments as possible underwater. But one thing that I haven't done is like deep wreck penetration or gone into caves. I think there are still some really cool environments when you see photos from people that have gone into caves and the things that, that are in there. Uh, there's, there are photos to be taken in there that I can't take without having that training, so I still want to do it. It's just like a, a really big commitment. Cause you got to f- go through the whole tech training first, and then you got to go, go through the uh, CAVE training. And I just haven't had uh, had the, the chance to do that yet, but uh, it's definitely on my bucket list.
0: I think it's not just a tech, but a lot of them diving with the rebreather nowadays as well, it really is another degree, PhD degree. <laughs> to get it done <laughs> but on the cave diving have you seen that documentary the rescue oh yes so what was your take on after you watch me It
1: was a a testament to cave trading now if you know, apart from all the the tragedy with the kids being trapped there and the people that that died trying to rescue them and all the drama around it but what really Solved that situation was that they, they were able to find some people that were trained and experienced working in, in caves and in those environments. If they didn't have those people, maybe they wouldn't have gotten the kids out. So for me, it was just like, okay, training actually works. There's a purpose with having training and experience diving in caves before you actually go diving in caves. From a divers perspective, that was the takeaway that I got from that.
0: I share the same sentiment. I think the irony of the whole thing is um, that the divers who went in to carry the kit out were all hobbyists. Mm. None of them dive for a living as a, a profession. They actually just dive because they like it. A lot of experienced divers do share in common and probably between you and me as well. is the ongoing training never ends. There is a limit as how many reef dives you can do. Before you thought, okay, that's done. I have been down to a dive site called Coral Garden. And it really lived up to the name of being Coral Garden. But seriously, 20 minutes into it, I was ready to get up.
1: Yeah. And and I I completely agree with that. And to me, diving, I got into diving because I wanted to go exploring. I wanted to explore part of the earth that I haven't seen before. And that's what my passion about diving has always been about. I was like, okay, I've seen the reefs, well, but there's so much else down there that I haven't seen, and I want to keep exploring. But that's part of why I do it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you use the word explorer. When I was going through your collection of photos, what really struck me is that the word explorer is a bit of understatement. Probably would describe you, your passion this a combination of travel photography, diving, and many other things. It's felt as... If you are a creator and a collector of memories and experiences, do you agree the way I describe it?
1: Yes. I think I live for the stories and for the memories because there's always a story behind every memory and that's what I try to collect. So yes, definitely. And that's what drives me not only for diving, but for all the other things that I do as well.
0: Even on land, you've been to Chernobyl. Yes. What was that like?
1: It was amazing. It was exactly like wreck diving. So the same thing, it was something that wasn't supposed to be, but still was there, it was undoubtedly there. It's like, uh, you come to a wreck and it's not supposed to be at the bottom of the sea mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be floating and alive and there's supposed to be activity around it, motion and people. And it was the same thing in, in Chernobyl, it was sort of like something when you go to Pripyat, the, the city that was abandoned as man in the Chernobyl disaster, it's all empty. It's supposed to be people there. You go to the hospitals, there's no activity there. You go to the daycare centers and there's no children there. So it was exactly like coming to a wreck and, uh, and trying to f- imagine what it would have been like when it was in full activity and full of life. So I, I got the exact same feeling and therefore I absolutely loved it. It was like walking around the set of a disaster movie. That was amazing. We actually stayed overnight in Chernobyl at the hotel. That was a lot of fun.
0: That's actually quite surreal come to think of it because it's practically an abandoned city and nothing's moved since the incident happened. That was like 20, 30 years ago?
1: Yeah, late 80s, mid to late 80s.
0: Yeah, that's a really long time ago, and yet that is still there. I get the fact that maybe because the radiation, they stay off it and then for the time being, probably can't do much about it with that place. Still, a tourist site, it's worth going to, to see it.
1: Yeah. It was the same thing as with wrecks that nature takes over again. So if you go to a wrecks that have been sunken for a while and there's all corals growing on it and animals now like claiming it as their home. It was the same thing. Like nature is now taking back that fort of the earth that humans have cleared and made their habitat. And now it's being reclaimed. So for me, it was the same feeling as going to Rick's site or maybe going to temples in Cambodia. If you go to Angkor Wat, when you have these overgrown temples, when nature is reclaiming things that humans have created. So the same kind of feeling of it.
0: Oh, wow. So is that like you see the plants, the trees so growing out of the gaps of stones as really, it's incredible to think about the power of the nature Mm. that what they can do. The other thing I noticed in your photos is they're very colorful. Mm. It may sound a bit presumptuous, but the way I read the photos felt like every single photo is so rich with information, stories, but they're very still and very calm, very peaceful as if you were a painter like before. Camera was ever invented, you probably would have painted that photo. But because you've got cameras, you just use the camera to capture that moment. Mm. It, 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 that's how I see your photos. So What's go through your mind when you're creating those, capturing those moments because they're not snapshots?
1: Yeah. I think, like most photographers do, that you go through like an mm. of photography. So you start, and, I, and I've gone through this with my mm. normal photography and underwater photography that you start just snapping pictures and, oh, I can actually document something that I can capture those moments. And that's awesome. And then you want to maybe take a step further. I want to do this, maybe be a little bit more than it was in reality. I can enhance and capture some details of it. And that is my experience of it. It's usually the next step in that photo evolution, like if it is a beautiful sunset and you just snap a picture of it maybe that doesn't actually convey the feeling that you had when you watched it so you try to actually convey that feeling and that's not all the same thing as just snapping a picture of it so you, you need to learn a little bit more with the technique how do i work with the lighting how can i do that so i went through that i think if you go back and look at my older photos you definitely see that so maybe just trying to convey the feeling that i have with it and then the next Part of it is is exactly what you're describing. It's like creating something and just using photography as your canvas or your creative tool to, to create something. It's not documentary photography anymore. It's not necessarily about capturing the feeling because you're creating something new that wasn't there before. And that's what fascinates me about photography now, just using it as a creative tool and doing that, you need to have a. a plan for your photo when you start it. So if you do landscape photography, then the way that I got into it was like, okay, that's all about capturing the feeling and capturing the moment and maybe enhancing some details in it. When you want to take it further into more creative process, you almost need to see the photo that you want to take before you even start packing your camera bag because you need to like okay this is what I this is what I want to create what do I need in order to do that I need these lenses I need to bring my tripod or whatever this is the time of day that I need to be able to capture that because I know that in order to to get to where I want to I need to have this light the same thing with the And all the pictures with the balloons that we waited for the right time of day, because we know the light would come in from that angle and that would like create the the pictures I had in my mind. And I know photographers actually draw the picture that they want to create before they even start thinking about bringing a camera anywhere. And then you work backwards from that. This is what I want to create. What do I need in order to to get there in terms of equipment, in terms of lighting, in terms of models, props, whatever you need in order to, to, to do that. It's a super creative process. It's fun, but it also very far from just snapping pictures and and documenting and and, capturing memories from where I started out. And it's been fun because I I like learning new things and and, and getting into new processes. And it was the same thing. We went to Chernobyl and I had some ideas of, because you've seen pictures of how it is. Oh yeah. I have some pictures that I really want to create and that I want to, that I want to come away from that trip with.
0: So back to Chernobyl, what was your most tried photo that you took? I
1: think the one that I like the most is my ex-wife standing in this big concert hall. There's a broken piano on on stage and everything is just starting to fall apart because it's been there for 30 years. It's weathered summers and really cold winters. It's just like the whole concert hall is falling apart and the furniture is rotting and it's in a state of decay but you can still see that it's a concert hall and you can see that it's a broken piano on stage and you have a person that's standing in the middle of this decay and because chernobyl is all gray and we were there in in winter actually on new year's eve it was quite cold and it was super cloudy and then you have a person standing in the middle of that in in a red coat that really stands out and I really liked that. I wanted to get those pictures where you have, I guess it's like it's something that's dead or dying and something that is very alive and having that contrast just made it an interesting
0: picture to me. Giving that little symbol lining in a dark cloud. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> put a bright red <laughs> in the middle yeah. of all the uh, chaos.
1: Yes. And, and I do like colors that also made it pop a little bit and and give it something more than just the gray, blue mood.
0: Wow. We talk so many creative stuff. This is not your day job, is it? No. (laughs) Your day job is quite different. Yes. And for being perceived to be somebody is completely opposite. But I'm sure if you look at what you would do for. Your photography for underwater and uh, on land for all the expeditions that you've been on. There are some nexus that we talk about when you're creating the photos, even before you, you went on a trip, you would have planned out what kind of photo you want to take, you've done your studies. I'm sure there's kind of transferable experiences on both sides from your personal leisure space and your workspace.
1: Yes, I generally approach everything in the same manner. So I'm a software engineer to start with now turn manager. What got me into software engineering is exactly what got me into photography. I got into software engineering because you start with nothing and then you sit down at the keyboard and you write some code and suddenly you have something that you create from nothing and this something could be something fun like a game or it could be something that is solving a problem for someone so we are actually creating a program or a system that will help people do business or one of the first big systems that i created was for medical care and to be able to provide better care to, to patients so for me, you start with nothing and suddenly you're, you're just typing stuff on a keyboard and suddenly you can help people get better care. That's amazing. That's like pure creativity. And maybe people don't think about it as being a, a creative job, being a, a software engineer and, and generally software engineers, they don't really sell themselves as creative people, but it is a super creative process and you have to have the same sort of mindset to it. And when you, you can't just start writing software without having a, a goal for it. You really need to know what you want to create and what you want to have towards the end of it once you've, you've done all that. So for me, it's the same kind of process. It's just that the tools are different and the goals, of course, are different, but the process is very much the same.
0: I think people tend to give creativity a, a very narrow definition. They that fact really I mean, like associating with design, art. Then well, I guess it's how the society and school education has been programming us what creative means Mm. and but in reality it really is about creating something right it's creating memory creating solutions to address an issue Mm. and like you say you you wrote the code for the medical care and just to help to improve the system and i think people actually come in creative and think very much they what we're here for in this lifetime in, in essence in a way so what it's your upcoming project that you're looking to create.
1: Oh, now I'm a little bit scared because now if I say it, I actually need to do it. I've been so, this is going to sound super weird, but I've been cooking a lot and I've been fascinated by some of the fruit and vegetables. <laughs> the pattern. I've been like, this is a really nice vegetable. Uh, it looks fantastic. And you cut <laughs> a, a head of red cabbage in half have all these intricate patterns that uh, have, be, have been created. I need to document this somehow. I need to get my macro lens out and some good strobes and, and actually make something out of this. It sounds really weird. But we all went a little bit crazy during the pandemic, okay? And this was, <laughs> yeah, it, there's nothing to do with diving. They
0: <laughs> thought this is a therapy session. Yes. <laughs> it, the title is uh, the Confessions of Diving Joking. <laughs> I can easily turn it into Confessions of Somebody who got locked out in pandemic <laughs> for too long.
1: Yes. No, but I, I think just finding beauty in everyday objects and yeah. uh, is something that I've always been fascinated with. And I've also been fascinated with macro photography because if you can take any object and then you zoom in and you select a very small part of it and suddenly it's not that object anymore. It's become something different. I have a couple of photos that i put up for sale that no one ever bought, which are just like, fish scales, basically, like really zoomed in on the patterns on the sides of fish, like a lionfish. It's beautiful. If you just photograph a small part of of the side of it, you have all the scales and the colors and the patterns that that are in there that has been created by nature for some reason, either to stand out or for camouflage or to tell the fish that it's venomous. I've been fascinated with that part of macro photography. If you really look into it, what nature has created, then you can do that with macro photography, it just becomes so beautiful. And I was diving, I was in my kitchen. I was like, oh, it's the same thing here.
0: So what are your most fascinating vegetables or <laughs> fruits that you have discovered?
1: i like red cabbage that was the thing that really put me on to this idea because it has all these fractal patterns in it if you cut it in half in the right way also the contrast between red and white the same thing in oranges also kiwis are super interesting because i have the contrast in color between the green and the white center of it and all the, the black seeds.
0: So, you can cut into to synchronize and put that against the, the light.
1: Yes. Yes. So you exactly. can get some kind of backlight it and really zoom into it. What else? Yeah. You're getting into it now,
0: <laughs> I can get, I, mean, I can, I can see that you're stimulating my creative mind.
1: <laughs> yes. Also I've been fascinated by the surface of sweets, the vegetable, because they're all gnarly, that has been uh, something that, that like, oh, I wonder if I can capture that in an interesting way. So we'll see, you asked me about my next project. Yes, just
0: just get you out of your procrastination (laughs) and then you come up with another project.
1: Oh yeah, this is definitely going to get cut from.
0: Actually, I did go through a period where I wouldn't say I was fascinated by vegetables and fruit, but I have used them to play with miniature photography. Mm -hmm. I was collaborating with a chef. She created the, the dish and we would take a shot. But then it's really boring. You just take photos of any food that you see tons on Instagram anyway. And there's so many photographers doing it for a living. And I was like, I'm not a professional photographer. I'm just doing it for fun. Why don't I put some miniature into it? So I did create some kind of little fantasy world with the miniature figurine to give the definition to the photo or the food. So yeah, it's fine being creative. That's very important.
1: This is also possibly like a revolution because my parents wouldn't let me play with the food when I was little. So maybe I'm just rebelling against that now in my middle age life.
0: You yeah, travel on land quite a lot for other places, mm. so forgive about the fact that the COVID stopped you from traveling overseas to outside Sweden. I, I, I assume you've also done some traveling within the country, is that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so that was what happened basically. I was like, okay, if I can't go anywhere else, what can I do here? And uh, so I started hiking. I've been doing a lot of long distance hiking in the last uh, two years now. So uh, just me and my tent out for weeks at, uh, at once, and uh, just uh, going up into the mountains, uh, bringing a lot of food and trying to uh, get some miles out on the trails.
0: Okay. So <clears throat> I like being out in the nature, but there's also a, a very open side of me. I don't mind hiking. But this camping thing is a different thing to me. I need my whole shower. So how did you prepare for that? What was going through your mind? Surely they're not like Singapore, that every single hiking trail is very well paved. And I'm sure that in Sweden, they don't bother with that. And then how do you find your way?
1: Yes, exactly. I think the longest trail I've, I've done was like 450 kilometers. And uh, you're going to be uh, out hiking two or three weeks. So you're not going to be able to carry food for all that time because it's too much weight. So you got to prepare that to either buy food along the way or prepare food in advance and then send it along so that you pick up food packages along the way. So you need to have a very light backpack because you're going to be out there for a long time. So you need to cut down on your comforts. <laughs> <laughs> Navigating mountain trails. So your best case scenario, there's going to be some trail markers along the way. And for this trail, it's quite popular. So most of the trail was really well marked. But you need a compass and a map, and I also brought a satellite tracker. If I get into uh, trouble somehow and fall and break my leg, I can contact emergency services through a satellite network for that. It doesn't really help you with navigation, but it's just for for safety.
0: When you were doing the uh, hiking or tracking, did you meet other people on the way?
1: Occasionally, yes, there would be days when I didn't meet anyone, mm-hmm. but mostly you run into other hikers and you can ask them a little bit about the the trail and what's up ahead. And every once in a while, you get into a storm, you need to find a shelter somewhere. and You end up, to, you know, just uh, chatting with other people, finding out what they're doing out there.
0: It's very much like going diving, isn't it? It is. When you finish your dive for the day, and then you meet other people. When you're doing the trekking, you meet other travelers
1: yeah i go out hiking for the same reason for me is diving is a lot about photography these days it's also about escaping and getting away from uh, my day-to-day life and and from society because you're diving and it's going to be nice and quiet down there you have one thing that you need to do which is dive or take pictures while diving and you need to focus on that, and you can't do much else. And it's the same thing with hiking. For me, yeah, when you're out uh, on the trail and you're not thinking about on things, and uh, there is no cell phone reception up in the mountains, the so same as diving, no one can reach you, and uh, you're just out there enjoying nature, same as diving, and just getting away from from everything. It's super relaxing. I usually just have a lot of uh, audio books and I listen to science fiction and hike, and it's amazing.
0: Oh wow. As interesting, I can't imagine myself doing that. I need my boat shower.
1: <laughs>
0: That's what's in there.
1: Yeah. It's not for everyone. If you have the need to get away from everything, it's, it's
0: yeah. perfect. The times I've been up in the mountain, I, I really enjoy and they're all memorable. One that really touches me is Bhutan. Obviously we went for the five-star treatment. Is this a place guarantee for showers? The beauty is I woke up every morning. I, You see Paro Valley and it was winter. The air is so clean Mm. and at night, you can just stargaze because zero night pollution. Mm. Literally the sky is just decorated with lots of stars. Yeah, You feel big and you feel small at the same time.
1: I have the same feeling uh, and that's what mountains do to me and occasionally diving as well, a lot get a perspective of my own insignificance and at these mountains, they've been there for millions, maybe billions of years. And they're going to be there long after I'm gone as well. And this landscape will not change much in my short lifetime. And for me, that's comforting somehow. I don't know why, but it is just getting the, the scale of my existence into perspective helps to ground me for some reason.
0: To get out of your comfort zone and to get out of yourself. To then come back in, by doing that, you start to see things from a different perspective again.
1: And start appreciating it.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. You're definitely a creator. You have just been listening to Surface Time, Confessions of a Diving Junkie. My guest today was Magnus Ackerblom Viker, where the word explorer is an understatement when we use it to describe him. His love to learn new things is purely driven by his curiosity. His commitment to stay curious so that he can stay creative is inspiring. In the follow-up episode, you will hear more from Magnus answering the five insightful questions that I ask all my guests. Surface Time is negatively produced by Noe Production and Music by Dress Studio. If you have enjoyed our Surface Time chat, please show us some love and subscribe. And if you would like to share your stories on Surface Time, we would love to hear from you. Please email us to faith at surfacetimechat.com.